I think at this point it might make sense to bring up what would be the obvious arguments against this idea that we could handle this level of complexity, coordinating all these humans in all these systems we have in a dynamic way and remove the existential threats. Like, what would be the argument against being able to think globally and act locally, holding all that information in our minds, right? Well, I think that before that, there's, I don't know, I can imagine some people starting to get this idea of, wait, does this mean that I'm not supposed to work on the problem I care about? (laughs) I think this is like a big disruptive, potentially really big disruptive thing for people. This idea that like you can't tackle the problem directly and there's all these other things tied up with our idea that we could do that. We have life purpose and mission. People can take that on and have purpose and mission and identity tied to the idea that they're going to conquer the wicked problem with their smarts and their intelligence and their ambition and energy and determination. And that's important, meaningful, powerful thing for people. And to give someone the idea that doesn't work like that is potentially really difficult to understand or start to even consider. Yeah. So if I was someone, I don't know if I want to consider that, I would need to be getting an answer to this question of, you know, okay, how would these things, these wicked problems that have become very identified, very articulated, known and labeled problems that are very familiar now, again, all these different things, how would they get solved if not directly? if not through determination and control and trying to just solve the problem? How do they get solved this other way? How do they get addressed this other way? There's a lot of solutions that create more problems than they solve, right? As we've seen throughout history with wicked problems and solving one problem, we've created 10 more, right? So that this is part of the setup here is that we, yes, we have a desire to fix something. We have a desire maybe to fix climate. And so maybe we'd want to drop a bunch of iron shavings into the ocean or do something equally aggressive and potentially short-sighted because we wouldn't fully understand all the downstream implications, right? So we do this all the time. We naively interject ourselves into systems thinking we're going to make them better and we just make them worse. So what do you say to somebody that says, well, what am I supposed to do? Nothing. And the first part of this is to say, if you want to take our word for it, what we'd argue everybody would need to do is you have to start by first examining and understanding the nature of your attention system. Because if your doing is coming from your captured attention system and you can't recognize that, you're pretty likely going to make things worse, not better. It's going to feel like you're making them better, and it's likely you're not going to get the outcome you expect. So the first thing is to recognize that you have to understand that about yourself. But there is a formulation In the fully coordinated attention system, in the full attention system, there is a natural intelligence solution that has people have huge impacts on the system. You just can't guarantee you're going to be one of them, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And so through everybody doing their best, it's kind of like if you think about a natural system, let's say you have to move a trillion gallons of water out of a reservoir, the reservoir is going to burst. And each one of us are a little river tributary 
pushing out across a landscape to try to drain the water away. Some of us will turn into big rivers and some of us will hit a rock face and just be a trickle. But we're all pushed out. We're all moved by the same thing. We're all moved by the force of the water that has to find its way. We all know we have to find our way. And all you can do is feel that and push forward. And you're as likely as anybody else to turn into perhaps what would be recognized as a great leader or perhaps an invisible leader. Maybe you wouldn't even recognize that you had done something that was essential to eventually becoming a deep river valley of flow towards the solution. So there would have to be a recognition that trying your best can result in huge outcomes. It can also result in not huge outcomes, but it's the best you can do. And also paradoxically, in that mindset, you know you're not alone. You know you're not the only one trying, and that feels good. I think there's a concrete example there that might help to illustrate this. I think that, let's say, like picking up trash as an example, there's the idea that if everyone did their part or if you're doing your part, you'd be maybe picking up the trash that happens to be on your walk to somewhere or you stop on the way home and pick up some trash there off the side of the road. But inclusive of what trying your best can look like, some people may see an avenue for themselves to, I don't know, organize a trash pickup event, for example. And all of a sudden they've done more. And maybe they also happen to be skilled or want to learn skills that turned their trash pickup event into a movement. And now it's got a name to it and it's catchy and now more people are doing it and it's a thing and it's caught on. Mm -hmm. And now this person has become a much bigger influence on the way towards the solution or at least the way towards this particular, this goal. And not to be minimized is the fact that somebody who feels like they want to have a big impact if that's what they feel they want and are just picking up trash, they're not passive in it. They are applying their natural intelligence to look for opportunities, to cultivate opportunities, to cultivate relationships, to innovate, to be creative, to find ways to have bigger impacts. That is all part of this. You're not on a grid with a little two-by-two two grid just doing your little robot piece. You can be as aspirational, as imaginative, as driven and compelled as you can imagine. You're just doing it in a different way. You're doing it in the only way that we know will work, which is a way that is grounded in reality and open to insights, which are the foundation of new solutions, new ways forward. And again, I'm using the word solution maybe in a way that's confusing, but I'm saying that the way forward feels like insights, feels like overcoming barriers, feels like deciding which way to go, deciding the best action. Each of those are solutions towards living. This still brings up a bit of a point of confusion potentially, because if I continue with that thought experiment of someone that's maybe trying to find ways to do bigger and bigger impact on this particular problem they're trying to solve, or they're trying to respond to anyway of trash, you can imagine that turning into a point where it's like, okay, I could just pick up the trash here. I could just organize some groups 
but I want to solve the trash problem completely. So I'm going to go straight to the biggest possible thing I can imagine because I happen to be in the position to do that. Perhaps I'm, you know, I, I happen to be able to think and use the internet and put a website together and try to get like, I don't know, funding and then just go for the, the big solution. Right. And why wouldn't so you? So what is that? Is that part of this? So I think it, to answer this and, can, and to really clear up what you're pointing at is what we're talking around is that there's two fundamental approaches to now we're not we're going to use solving again. There's two fundamental approaches to finding your way forward to figuring out how, what to do. Let's just say that to figure out what to do. There's two approaches. We have the captured attention, analytic intelligence, what we're talking about computer systems, which would be to say we're going to optimize. We're going to calculate. We're going to basically figure out what we want and figure out how to get it. And then you have the full attention system, the natural intelligence, which can't optimize because it knows it doesn't understand life like that. It knows it can't control life like that. So what does it do? How does it decide to do? How does it see how to do? And for that intelligence, its way forward is to ground into reality and to come to try to continually understand what are the envelope of possibilities or what is the plausible, what are my plausible possibilities? So what's actually something I can actually do that's consistent with my understanding of the world around me? and all the constraints that come in there. So natural intelligence works with dynamic constraints. And this is something we didn't talk about very much, but another reason why natural intelligence doesn't explode and get bogged down like computers do is that where computers bring in data, and the more data they bring in, the more complicated everything gets and the slower it gets. What natural intelligence does is it brings in constraints And what constraints do is they reduce possibilities and it simplifies your thinking. And so you realize, well, I would love to maybe do everything imaginable, but I only have this much money or I only have these skills or I only know these people. So I'll talk to the three people I know. I'll put together a paper I can write and I'll give it to them. And that's the best I could do right now. Or you might be in a situation where you can do more. So natural intelligence maybe holds our our aspirations, we can work with that, but looks for plausible action, things that we can actually do that are feasible, plausible, and constrained by reality. And you may think that that puts a damper on everything, but the paradox is that when you switch from captured attention to natural intention, when you switch from that quality of analytic thinking to constraint-based grounded thinking, you actually open up possibilities, which is hard to understand how it works. So we said before that in analytic intelligence, you're in a very complicated world with few options. You feel trapped in the machine, trapped in a maze, a very complicated maze. So it's very complicated. You have very few options. In natural intelligence, you have a sense of simplicity. Like you have a sense, for example, in your body that you know your body inside and out, just the simplicity. You just have your body. And yet, when you dance, you have almost infinite possibilities, it feels like, of movement, of expression. 
coming from this place of simplicity. And so in the same way, if you were trying to pick up trash and you're switched to natural intelligence way of approaching it, instead of analytic intelligence, you may realize that the analytic intelligence that was made up of rules and optimizations, that the process of optimizing had artificially restricted your possibilities. And this is something we can only say, but if you're a practitioner, you see it. You see how that works. That optimizing tends to reduce possibilities down because for you to define a solution, which is what you need to control a system, you need to collapse possibilities. And when you do that, it feels like you've run out of options. It feels like you only have a few options, a few solutions. But when you are in natural intelligence, just dealing with constraints, you realize there are lots of ways usually to satisfy constraints, that the system's what's called under-constrained, that life is under-constrained. There's usually far more ways life can go that can satisfy the constraints of life. And that's an expansive feeling, and that's a creative place to be in. That's where you can creatively find new ways forward, what we're calling solutions, but you find ways forward that you couldn't see before. And so you might feel like, well, all I do is pick up trash. Well, let's, t- let's take that example. I-, I just pick up trash on this block. Well, you feel like a machine, and you feel like it's boring, and you feel like all I do is lean over and I pick up stuff and I put it in a bag. That's going to be my life. And so the smallness of it is not only the scale, like, oh, I only am picking up this one block of trash. It's the way we do it that feels limited and trapped and repetitive and mechanical. In natural intelligence, would probably formulate the problem differently. Natural intelligence would say, this is your home on this block. And this is the earth you've been part of for billions of years one way or another. And you're free to love it and care for it. It's your right. You're born with that right. In this area, you can allow yourself to feel a love for and move from that place towards what you think, what you judge moment to moment would best serve your home. And then every day you would find that there's a agency and a choice if you decide that picking up trash is how you express that connection, that love, and maintain your natural environment that maintains you. It's not a mechanical act anymore. It doesn't feel small. It feels participatory. It feels immense in what you're participating in. Yeah, I like that. I hope that what we're saying here gives people a sense of possibility rather than not. I think this point about analytic intelligence and defining the problem in a over-constraining. Yeah. Come, to come up with a solution, you need to satisfy all the constraints. And in doing that, you artificially bring in limitations. Yeah. So, you know, with the trash example, you can get caught in this idea that that's the problem you're solving. Is the trash problem. You're solving it by picking up trash. I think this is an example that can be seen in a lot of other situations where people might be trying to solve things and help. In this example, natural intelligence would also include a question that opens things up more. It would bring in the possibility to ask, where is the trash coming from? I think when you're talking about this this feeling of the person picking up trash being robotic and machine-like, if you imagine going to the same 
spot and picking up trash and then going back and hey look there's more trash and hey look there's more trash there's this like treadmill quality to that an ability to get trapped in the solutions that we've selected right and because we haven't experienced this freedom in our small impact mattering and being a creative act and being an act that can and wants to like life bloom and blossom and grow like everything in us we put our attention on this is kind of a generalization but let's just say you could think of it like everywhere we place our attention wants to blossom and grow that like by virtue of us paying attention to the trash if that's what we feel drawn to we're going to pull in our curiosity if that's where we care we will be naturally applying ourselves to it and it can grow that's this is what i was saying with the water example that's where all great movements come from. They all start small. We all start babies and become leaders <laughs> through those threads. Someone feels a connection and they lean into that. And so the possibilities are everywhere intrinsically. But we're so used to the analytic intelligence imposing them on us like a menu extrinsically and deadening them. Like we're pushing a shopping cart through the altruistic aisles of the supermarket of Save the World, trying to pick which can of nonprofit to donate to and which group we should spend a weekend day once a month participating in. And that's our part to save the world. And this formulation, that's not what it looks like at all. It really is taking this idea of what we were talking about prior of an individual connecting and feeling like they've reclaimed their natural intelligence and have learned how to close the vulnerability or at least tried to protect themselves from being bombarded with nonsense and start to clean up everything that's been their backlog of garbage that they may have taken in would naturally come to what we're pointing out as being something like self-actualized. What does that mean? And this is exactly what we're talking about. It would mean that that's how those acts would be experienced because that's the reality of what's actually happening. What's actually happening when you pick up a piece of trash, if it goes well, is that in that little couple-inch neighborhood, you saved endless living creatures from suffering, from ingesting it, from it breaking down, from it poisoning the soils. You saved future of countless many, potentially, organisms just by picking up a piece of trash. And you would be able to feel that because that's the reality of what is happening not you yeah. not that you are just a worker doing something stupid so that you to kill a saturday morning in your volunteer hours and check your box that you're doing your part so what have we really been talking about here let's summarize it so what we've covered so far is that to really understand how to solve wicked problems we've really been talking about the mindset first that there's a really fundamental mindset we're talking about to switch from an artificial intelligence kind of solution, a mechanical brain that would try to take in everything and solve our problem, to a distributed natural intelligence solution that would feel different, as we'd expect, because we're pointing out that the nature of solutions that are artificial represent very much the quality of the trapped, captured analytic intelligence that is not up to the task of natural intelligence and that creates nonsensical solutions. And we're saying that switching to a natural intelligence approach to trying to even tackle 
giant scale existential problems, first we need to understand that qualitatively it's going to feel different. It's going to be a different way of understanding what solutions are, what approaches are, how much control we have, what it looks like to participate in a solution. So we were trying to paint this picture, and I think that if I were listening to this, I, I, I'd be probably hanging in there, but then I still feel like there's this huge gap between this and being convinced that you could really pull this off at scale. Like, how would you coordinate all these minds if everybody's coming up with their own creative solution? It'd be chaos, right? I think that's what this sets up, is we're saying that you have to approach all wicked problems that we have been accustomed to thinking of what those are. We have to approach those differently. And then there's also an implied, the problem of doing this podcast about, the problem of the race against insanity is a wicked problem too. What does that mean? To address the race against insanity, what we're talking about, what is the race? The race is that we need to transition systems that are likely to collapse, that are starting to fail us, that we recognize that into a different way of organizing ourselves, 8 billion of us, and we don't know how to do that in a way that's consistent with natural intelligence, which we've defined as in a way that's consistent with our long-term survival as a species, that we have been able to organize ourselves in an unnatural way, and that if we don't make this adjustment and make this shift, we're doomed. And because when these systems start failing us, they'll take out likely huge amounts of us, if not all of us. So that's the race. And so we've said that, yeah, we're kind of all operating somehow with natural intelligence. And this is what it kind of feels like inside ourselves. This is what it feels like to be in the systems. But we haven't talked about how do you transition these big systems, to these other systems? How does that work? How do we do the switch? What could it look like? What could doing the switch look like? And more importantly, with painting the picture of what we just said, how do we all coordinate with each other if we aren't coordinating with each other anymore based on these unsustainable systems? 